On this special day, as I've been praying and thinking about these students and the commitments they're making and the new thing that God has done in their life, but also this afternoon, we've got a 1.30 meeting today in Rankin County. The Global Methodist Church is looking to plant a church there, and I'll be helping to lead that meeting and thinking about a new thing God's doing there. And then later this afternoon, the District Charge Conference, all the churches in our Pine Belt District will meet together, and Isaiah 43 is what I'll be preaching that afternoon about a, a new thing that God is doing. I've preached that here before. Some of, several of you remember everything I said seven and a half years ago when we looked at this passage. Uh, and I've never done this before. Go back to a, an old message, but it's not an old message. God's doing a new thing. Now, I could skip this and all y'all come to McGee at 4.30. No? Okay. So we're going to go through this passage one more time together and see what it is that God wants to do and ask that question. Lord, what are you, what are you wanting to do in us anew? We're celebrating what God's doing new in y'all's life today. But what about you? What is that new thing he's wanting to do in your heart? Uh, Maybe in a relationship, uh, in your parenting, in family, in your work, in the ways that you serve. God is routinely a God who will do a new thing. And look, as we go to this passage, starting at verse 16 and 17, if you have your Bibles open, there's proof of that here for us. As you look at verse 16, we see God's power over nature and what he can do. We serve a God who makes a way through the sea. We're told that they were not seafaring people in that day. They were not only not seafaring people, but you read your scriptures, there was the rumors of Leviathan in the sea. You even remember stories on that small, it's not even the Sea of Galilee, the big lake of Galilee, how storms could come up and could could take down a boat to the point that they're begging for their lives. Water was a scary place. If you died at water, the the, the, the Jews at that time and Jesus' time believed if you, if you died in the water and were lost there and your bones were separated, how could God put you together back at the resurrection? The sea was not their friend. And here we see this reminder through the prophet, we serve a God who makes a way through those places that may be places of fear in our life, God will come and make a way. And maybe it's not just nature that we worry about, but also uh, the, the, real, the real concern is the human heart. In verse 17, you see not only his power over creation, but all of his creatures, over humanity. He says that they are quenched and extinguished, the horse, the rider. If you remember, what, that talk there points back to, to Exodus, and we're reminded even in their day, Deuteronomy 17, 6 says, you shall not multiply horses for yourselves. This shall be a cause to his people to return to Egypt to multiply horses since the Lord has said you shall never return to that way. When you get to Josiah's reforms, he's burning the chariots of the sun with fire. It was a symbol in that day of trusting in what I can do. We had the opportunity, some of us in this room, to go to Megiddo years ago to the Holy Land. And there, carved out in that, in that place, were stables. You really weren't supposed to have horses in that day. Uh, but we're going to carve out a place to keep them because we're going to get ourselves through. It's really a lack of trust. And it's a showing of turning of kingship from God to us, we got this. 
I was uh, preaching a wedding, uh, officiating a wedding. I think Kate was three years old, uh, three and a half, four maybe, at Christ Methodist Church. It was the first service they had in their new uh, sanctuary. It was a big day, and I remember, you know, all kinds of people came for the wedding, but they also came to get into the building finally uh, to see that wonderful uh, sanctuary. And my wife had Kate there at her first ever wedding and was just trying to keep her controlled with the large crowd, and she was very talkative. And so finally my wife tried to, to, tried to trick her by saying, just keep looking at the back. If you'll just keep looking at the back in a few minutes, a princess is going to emerge. So Kate would look back, and then she'd start doing something else. No, 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 no. Keep looking at the back, and a princess is going to emerge. And one of the women sitting in front of my wife for that service leaned back and said to my daughter, little girl, are you a princess? And she immediately responded, oh, no, I'm the queen. So (laughs) still pray for us. Any kind of earthly authority, any kind of person, any kind of horse or whatever it is you use to control and get through, the prophet is clear. They are quenched and they are extinguished. God is over creation. He is over the creature. He has all authority and power. And then we bump into these verses 18 and 19, and it reminds us again, yes, he's over all, but he's over us because he wants to do this new thing. Don't recall the things of the past. Are you kidding? Isaiah of the prophets is the one who, John Oswald will say, speaks more to the past than anybody else. That's right. God has faithfully acted in the past, and we can trust him to act in those same ways today. But what the prophet is also saying is, you can expect him to show up now. He's been faithful in the past He'll be faithful to do. Verse 19, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? And there really is a shift here to some, pres- uh, some present tense. He makes, not ma- made. Brings, not brought. Gives, not given. It's this reminder again, God is over all things, but he's over all things because he's begging Israel and he's begging us to see this new thing that he wants to do, desires to do in our church, in your family, in your witness, uh, in these students. What is that new thing? Isaiah gives us some reminders of what that may be. Look at verse uh, 19. It says, I will make a roadway in the wilderness. Now, we know about the wilderness experiences from Scripture, and typically they are not good. Wilderness is a scary place for the people to be on the outs. When they're in the wilderness, they want to go back to pagan Egypt. They didn't want to stay there. The wilderness is a place where there, there could be, in their understanding, spirit, spirits out there. It's a very immoral place, but even just looking at the physical terrain. We've said this in some of our uh, funerals. We've talked about Psalm 23. There really aren't many still waters. There aren't many green pastures. And yet God says, I can make a way, a roadway through the wilderness. As I was able to see that terrain when I was there years ago, you just look in the side of these little hills and you see these lines. And I thought, what is that? Is that erosion? What is it? And it's just ancient pathways 
that shepherds have made over the years trying to find a green pasture, trying to find uh, still waters. But God says, if you trust in me, I will show up and I will make a roadway. Y'all, with all of modern technology, we still haven't made a new roadway from Jerusalem to Jericho. They still use the same path because that's how difficult it is in the wilderness. When the devil tempted Jesus by saying, I'll turn these stones to bread, that's all there was was stones. And God will come to us in those places where we think, I just don't think you can change this in my thought life, in my family life, in my witnessing, in my, in my heart life. And he reminds, he reminds his people, I want to come. I want to do something new. You be aware of it. I come to make a roadway in the desert, and not just a roadway in the wilderness, but rivers, rivers in the desert, verse 20. There's a lot of water talk here in Isaiah. And there's reminders of what God wants to come and do. And listen, but there's not a lot of waters in the Holy Land. Um, the Jordan River is really a creek. Um, if you don't get rain three months out of the year, you don't get rain at all. It's just a reminder, if you trust in me, trust in me, not this world, not in the ways you can control and manipulate things. If you'll trust in me, I can show up and I can do uh, something new. But you're going to have to trust me. It's going to have to be me. I told this story seven years ago, but I love the story of Harvey Pennick. Some of you have his book, The Little Red book for golfers. I think that's what it's called. And he had put that together. I think he was late 80s or 90s. Just as he would golf, he just had a journal of little things he learned, just little sayings. And his sons knew about it. And one of them was in the publishing business. And so he, he uh, ended up asking his dad, I'm going to take this to my company and see if they want it, if they want to even shop it to other people and see if we can get it published. And Harvey said, yeah, do whatever. That's fine. The next day, the next day after the pitch, the son came back. Harvey was not there, so he told his mom, you tell dad. I pitched it to my people. They actually pitched it to Simon and Schuster, and they have agreed to a $90,000 advance. Tell dad and call me quickly. Dad didn't call. And so finally, the son has to call Harvey later. He says, dad, did mom not tell you the news? She did, she did. Well, aren't you excited? We're going to get this book published. And he said, son, we're not going to do it. What do you mean, Dad? We're not going to do it. We're just getting older, and um, we want to be able to leave you kids something, and we just can't come up with $90,000. We need to do our part in cooperating with the Lord in our prayer life, in our church attendance, in being in the Word, doing life together. But it's God who will do this work. We just got to trust. We, we kind of think like Harvey. I've got to drum it up. It's all on me. I want to put myself in position to receive. Yes. I want to cooperate with the Spirit. Yes. But this is the heart of God, that he wants to come and do a new thing. And we're just going to trust him with that. For the new things he's doing in the life of our church, for the new things he's going to do in and through these students. Uh, we're, we're winding down our 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 uh, interview process for our associate pastor position. We hope in the next month or so to be able to announce something. We've been excited. We've talked to several, several uh, people about that, but I was caught off guard by one of the spouses of somebody we were talking to and uh, just talking to him about this experience and 
uh, eventually, I don't know, I guess because we're Methodist, the conversation turned to food. And, uh, and I brought up something about, yeah, we're having this tomorrow. What did you have last night? Just something. Did you eat this? Whatever. No. We're fasting. She wasn't saying it in a prideful way. But as we're, we're praying about this church, uh, we're praying and we're fasting for the Lord's, for the Lord's discernment, for the Lord's will. It's It's him. He'll do it. Cooperate, wait well, but to trust and to know he's a God who will come. Whatever that place of fear might be for you like the sea, he will come. He'll make a way through the sea. Wherever those places are where we're holding on to our own power, our own way, those horses, let them be extinguished like a wick and say, Lord, you, it's going to have to be you. How do you need to trust him anew to do a new thing in your Life. We're excited for you all today to celebrate with you and your faith in Jesus Christ. But we're asking ourselves and also our church, how will God come? How will we trust him to do a new thing? Amen? Amen.